Well, uh, we are going to be starting a new series in the book of Ephesians soon, um, but I'm not quite ready for that yet. So I thought what we could do today is to go back to where we were in the farewell discourse to John chapter 17. Um, you might have noticed, well, first of all, for any of you who weren't here during the season of Lent, we were going through Jesus' last words to his disciples before his arrest. And if you had been following along in your own Bible, you may have noticed that Jesus' red letters continue past chapter 16 into chapter 17. And you might have wondered, well, why did we stop in chapter 16? Did we leave off early? There's a, there's a whole bunch more that Jesus said. And there is a fundamental difference between chapter 16 and chapter 17, which is that in chapter 17, Jesus stops speaking directly to the disciples and starts praying to the Father. So there is, a, there is a difference there. Stopping in chapter 16 was a natural place to stop. But the prayer that he prays is important. And so I thought, let's go back to it and let's, let's look at that prayer. Um, so, yeah, you can find your way to uh, John chapter 17, verse 1. And uh, this is actually Jesus' longest recorded prayer in the Bible. And I think that that should spark our interest, because what a person prays for reveals a lot about what they desire, what they want, right? At least if it's an honest prayer. And I'm sure that Jesus never said anything less than an honest prayer. Uh, a prayer is a window into our desire, right? And so... That's the lens that I want us to look at this prayer through. What is it telling us about what Jesus longs for, about what he desires? And of course, the Son reveals the Father. So what Jesus is praying for is also what the Father desires for us. So before we get into that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for being able to gather together. Uh, we thank you for being able to celebrate your resurrection uh, last weekend. And we pray that that celebration would be ongoing. Uh, that every day we would wake up in the power of your resurrection. And that we would live out of the, the, the freedom and joy that comes uh, from knowing that you are risen. Lord, I pray that you would help us right now to turn our attention to your words May your Holy Spirit speak to us through them. We, we welcome you uh, to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. 
For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. By that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. All right, I know that was a lot, long passage, a lot to process there, um, but we're going to do our best here. So what does Jesus want? Well, there's three categories, right? There's things he wants for himself. There's things he wants for his followers, and there's things that he wants for the world. And the bulk of what he wants is for his followers. So that's what we're really going to focus on. But real quick, we're going to talk about what he wants for himself and what he wants for the world. So first, for himself, he prays that he would be glorified, right? Uh, it says in uh, one of those first verses there, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus is speaking of himself in the third person there. Now, what does that mean? Well, we talked about this when we were reading through the farewell discourse, but I think it bears repeating. Um, what is glory, right? Someone is glorified if their awesomeness is on display, right? If their magnificence is revealed. To glorify is, is to display awesomeness. So Jesus is praying, Father, now, Display my awesomeness so that your awesomeness can be revealed, right? Because the Son reveals what the Father is like. So when the Son's awesomeness is displayed, it's also a display of the Father's awesomeness. Now, when we think of awesomeness being displayed, we tend to think of talent being showcased or 
you know, beauty, skill, that sort of thing, right? We think of uh, a quarterback holding up the Super Bowl trophy or a musician nailing a guitar solo uh, or something like that. But for Jesus, the display of his awesomeness is what is about to happen, right? Which is the crucifixion. Which is weird because, at least in that time, crucifixion was considered to be the ultimate humiliation, not the ultimate in glory. And the reason Jesus considers it his glorification is because what is glorious to God is sacrificial love. And there's no greater display of sacrificial love in the history of the world than the Son of God dying on a cross for the sins of the world. The cross is the ultimate in resistance against evil, the ultimate act of love, the ultimate act of courage. Right? And that is why it is glorious. So what Jesus is praying here, what he's desiring, is for God's love to be revealed. Which, when you think about it, is not so much a prayer for himself as it really is a prayer for us. <laughs> so even the prayer for himself is really about us. So that's what Jesus prays for himself. And the third category, what, the world, what he prays for them is basically that they would come to realize that he is sent from God, that he is loved by the Father, and that God loves all those who believe in Jesus. Right? So his primary prayer for the world is that they would come to believe in him. But as I already said, what we're going to focus on the most today is what Jesus wants for us, those of us who believe in him, his followers. And so to process through that, I have made a list what Jesus wants for us. So if you're taking notes, there's going to be five of these. And I'm not saying that what Jesus says is just limited to these five things. I could already see when I was reading it over that I missed at least one. Um, but these are the ones that really stood out to me. Number one, Jesus wants us to have joy. Verse 13, I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus wants you to have joy. He's concerned about that. Now, I don't want us to take that the wrong way. That doesn't mean that Jesus wants you to have whatever you think will make you happy. Right? There's a big difference between those two things. Notice that he describes this joy that he wants to bring us as his joy. Right? So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So this joy that Jesus wants to, to give us, it's not conditioned on something external, something in the world. Like most of the time, our, our happiness, our joy, we, we make it so that it's dependent on something in the world, something that we, we want. But the kind of joy that Jesus wants to give us is something that is planted within. It's actually his joy that is in some mystical way put inside of us. And it is, it's a joy that's resilient. It's a joy that's not conditioned by what's going on externally around us. It's something that, that flows from within. 
you know, it's important for us to recognize that any joy that we have from external things, things in the world, is a fragile joy, right? That joy can be lost through aging, through illness, through loved ones dying, uh, through fire, through earthquake, right? Through thieves breaking in and, and stealing our stuff. But, but God's joy is something that can transcend all those external circumstances. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to sound like I am overselling this joy. The, the joy that Christ wants to plant in us is not such that we never feel sad, that we never grieve, that we never feel the sting of, of loss in this world. Um, it's not like this, but, but God's joy gives us this deep sense regardless of what is going on, that ultimately things are going to be okay. That's God's joy. And I like to say that it is a stubborn hope. It's, it's stubborn. It, uh, it can't be taken away. It's the stubborn hope that regardless of how bad things are, there's something better to look forward to in the end. And Jesus wants us to have that joy. So that's number one. What else does Jesus want for us? Jesus wants for us to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? Uh, verse 15, he says, My prayer is not that you take, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, we've talked about this before, but remember, when Jesus says the world, you don't really want to think of creation. The world is a shorthand way of referring to the sinful order of society. So basically, the world exists wherever people value the pursuit of money, power, and fame more than truth, justice, and love. And when you think about it, in those terms, the world is all around us all the time. Right? It's, it's the water that we swim in. And Jesus is saying, I don't want my followers to be removed out of that sinful order. But I want them to stand in the midst of that sinful order and not succumb to it. And that, that refusal to succumb to it is going to be a sign to the world that I came into it and that I'm risen. Now, I think that we in the church fail to do this in two main ways. So one is that we just try to completely remove ourselves from the world. And this is where we try to organize our lives so that we never have contact with anyone who is not a Christian. Right? It's all Christian all the time. Anything, any activity that we do has to have Christian before it, you know? Christian music, Christian school, Christian college, Christian this, Christian. I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm saying sometimes we so remove ourselves 
that we can't even really be assigned to the world, right? So that's, that's what you might call the error of isolation. And of course, the other error is to assimilate to the world, right? To be in the world, but to so buy into that system that no one around us can see any kind of difference at all. And Jesus says, I want you to walk that middle path, right? Where you are in the midst of that sinful order, but you are at the same time not giving in, resisting, following me. That's what Jesus wants from the church. What else does he want? Number three, he wants us to be sanctified by the truth. Sanctified by the truth. That word sanctified is going to be a little tricky to grasp, but in this context, I think the best way to think of it is to be purified, to have the, the bad sifted out. And specifically, Jesus wants us to be purified by the truth that he has spoken. I think that's primarily what he has in mind here. Uh, we as his followers should be people who are consistently remembering what he said, meditating on what he taught. But I would, I would even go a little bit further and say, I think Jesus also just wants us to be purified by the truth, period. Right? All truth is truth. And, you know, when you, when you are growing up, it is a process where you come in contact with more and more reality, right? And as you do, you have to adjust your perceptions of the world, right? You have to change your mind about certain things. You have to let go of certain ideas about how things work and about who you are. And that's, that's the process of maturing, right? None of us thinks the same way about things at 21 as we did at 6. Hopefully. And as you go throughout life, you encounter more and more of reality, more and more truth. And hopefully that process continues, where you continue to be sanctified, you continue to be purified, you let go of what's not real, and you embrace more and more of what is true, and you grow in wisdom, right? But as we grow, as we encounter more of reality, we're always faced with a choice. Deny what is real or accept. And I think all of us, to a certain extent, are tempted to do the denial, especially when whatever we're learning doesn't line up with what we want to think, right, or what we thought before. But denial never leads to anything good, right? But when we accept, then that creates an opportunity for us to be purified, to grow in wisdom, right? To repent of what is not true and what is wrong and to move closer to what is real. And the more we do that, then the deeper in wisdom we go, the more truth we learn, the more we grow, right? And Jesus wants his followers to be people who are continually being purified by the truth, growing, right? Now, primarily by what he said, we need that, right? But also just generally as well, right? We should be people who speak no lies, right? Who believe what is real. All right, 
Number four, what else does Jesus want for us? He wants us to be unified with other followers of Jesus. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus wants his people to be one just as he and the Father are one, which is an incredibly high standard of unity, right? Jesus is God. The Father is God, right? We've, we've talked about this, the Trinity, right? Um, the Father and the Son are one in the truest sense of the word, right? They are one in essence, one in mission, one in will, one in character, And that is what Jesus wants for his church. Right? He wants us to have one mission, one will, one essence, one character. Now, it's probably helpful to keep in mind, okay, even in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have different roles. Right? So, I don't think different denominations are necessarily a bad thing. Right? Different denominations might have different roles in the body of Christ. That's okay. But ultimately, all of us who are followers of Jesus should be on the same general page, right? Same essence, same will, same character, same mission. But the fact that Jesus prays for unity, that that's what he emphasizes, tells us that disunity is always going to be a threat to his church. Always. Even when people share that same core faith, there is still a danger that they are going to turn against each other and vilify one another. I don't know why that is such a consistent temptation, uh, but it is. The history of the church over the last 2,000 years reveals that to us. Right? And so Jesus' prayer should encourage us, focus on what you share rather than what you disagree on. I think Jesus' prayer should also encourage us to be committed to a local church body. I know that over the course of the pandemic, over the last two years, uh, a lot of people have disconnected from a local church fellowship. And, you know, it's hard to get a clear reading on what the actual st statistics are in America, but it's a sizable percentage. Uh, that have dropped off of, um, of doing that, of, of being committed to a local church body. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people have, have disengaged. And honestly, when I hear people talk about some of the reasons why they have disengaged, I understand and sympathize with, with a lot of the reasons. Um, you know, so, some... The, the complaints are, well, I just don't see people acting like Jesus. I see a lot of hypocrisy. I see a lot of judgmentalism. I don't like the melding of politics and religion. Um, sure, yeah, that stuff is out there. It troubles me too. And so they see dysfunction and they say, well, I don't want to be part of this. And if that is you, you're probably not listening right now. <laughs> So, I'm probably just 
preaching to the choir. Um, but if you happen to hear this, let me encourage you to pay attention to Jesus' emphasis on unity here. Before going to the cross, this is what he prayed for. This was the longing of his heart, his desire for his people, for the church. He wants us to be unified, and we can't be unified if we're never together. Right? Now, of course, unity requires more than simply being together. Anyone who has gone to, you know, a town hall meeting knows that, right? Unity requires more than just being present, but being together is kind of a, a prerequisite for unity. So if you're frustrated with the church, but you still want to take Jesus seriously, which is what I hear most people say who have disengaged from the church, well, I still take Jesus seriously. Well, keep in mind how much Jesus values unity. This is what he prays for in this moment, that he wants us to be together. And and not only that, but he wants our unity to be the sign through which the world realizes that he's real. And you might think, well, that was a bad setup. (laughs) That God would arrange things that way. That our unity would be the thing that reveals to the world that he is risen. Well, you know, we can argue with him about it, but this is what Jesus says. This is the way that he set it up. When we gather like this, when we meet around shared worship of Jesus, around the scriptures, around the table, that is the way that we become a sign to the world that Jesus is alive. There's one last thing that I hear Jesus saying that he wants for us. Number five, and that is to have a deep connection with him. Deep connection with him. Jesus says, May they be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. May they be in us. And Jesus also says he wants us to be with him and to share in the glory that he had before the world was made. Whoa. So what is Jesus saying there? Again, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around it. It's kind of a mystical thing. But I'm sure what he's not saying is, I just want you to know some facts. I just want you to, you know, have your Bible memorized. I just want you to have good, solid doctrine. I mean, I, I do think he would like those things for us, for sure. But he's, he's talking about something else here that he wants for us. Right? He wants us to have this deep, intimate, spiritual connection with him. Which means we have to seek God not just through our minds, but with our hearts. You know, I've heard it said before, trying to seek God with just your mind is like trying to smell with your ear. It doesn't work that way. You have within you the ability to sense God and to commune with God. But it's like it requires a sense, and it's not one of the five. (laughs) It's something else. But it's there. You have it. And you have to exercise it. And we exercise it through prayer. And Jesus is saying, this is what I want for my people. This is what I want for for the church, is to have this deep connection with me on this heart level. And I would also like us to notice that it is this relational connection 
with God that is the basis for the unity that Jesus wants us to have. Right? May they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The unity can only happen when we are in God, in Christ. So if we really want to be unified as the church, the main thing that is going to do it is not talking about our differences, debating our differences. That can have value, certainly, those kinds of discussions, but they only have value if it's in a context where the individuals who are participating in those conversations have that connection with Jesus, in Jesus, right? So the unity that we each individually have with Christ, right, through prayer and through worship of Jesus, is the thing that makes it possible for when we get together to have unity with each other. If we don't have that, we should not expect that unity would be possible. I mean, we should still hope and work for it. But, you know, if you really want a group of people to get on the same page, the thing to do is to encourage, we should be encouraging each other, like, to seek God, right? To pray, to worship. And to do that together, too. I don't think there's any better way to cultivate unity than actual gathering together around shared worship of Jesus. And I do think that's one of the reasons why it became harder to overcome differences in churches during the pandemic. Because we weren't worshiping together. The good news is that Jesus wants us to have this deep, intimate, spiritual connection with him. He wants us to have that, to be in him and to share the glory he's had for all eternity. So, take a good look at that list again. Jesus wants us to have joy, to be in the world but not of the world, to be sanctified by the truth, to be unified with other followers of Jesus, and have a deep connection with him. So, notice what is a priority for him. And at the same time, notice what in this moment is not high on his priority list. Right? He doesn't pray that his followers would all be wealthy, Right? He doesn't pray that all of his followers would find their true love and live happily ever after. He doesn't pray that the world would be so impressed by how smart we all are. Or how good we are at arguing. What does Jesus want? This, this sort of thing. This is what he wants for us. Do we want what Jesus wants? Or are we focused on other things? That's the question we have to ask. Because, you know, the more that we want what Jesus wants, the more the church will come alive. The more the world will realize that God sent Jesus. The more we, we will be what we are supposed to be. Lord, we thank you for this reminder of what you value, what's important to you. Lord, we pray that it would be important to us too that you would line up our hearts with your heart. Lord, we, th we thank you that you care about our joy and that you want this, this connection with us, this deep connection with us. Lord, we want that too. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would, you would lead us and guide us, uh, that you would help us to be in the world but not of the world, that you would give us strength to do that. 
And we pray that we would be blessed to see more and more of the world coming to realize that you are king, that you are risen, and to find joy in that, a joy that is, um, can't be taken, can't be stolen. In Jesus' name, amen.